What's up, y'all? Got limited space up here tonight, man. How you doing? All right. Y'all doing well? Good. Let me pray for us. It's good to be. Uh, it's good to be back, man. It's good to be back with you guys. Tonight we're. Uh, what's up? Tonight we're closing out our uh, centrality series. Tonight's the last one, and then next week we're gonna have a special uh, Christmas sermon, Christmas talk, uh, and then the next week after that we have our uh, the Point Small Group Christmas party, which you learn more about in your small groups. It's gonna be the bomb. We did it last year. Come up with a theme, all that crazy stuff. Want to know more? You got to get in a small group tonight. So let me pray for us, Lord Jesus. Um, I pray. That you would speak to us tonight, Lord, we desperately need to hear from you. And I confess to you, Lord, that I'm weak. Lord, I'm weak and I'm desperately needy for you to fill me with your spirit. I'm desperately needy for you to work through me tonight. As your word says that your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect in weakness. Lord, that we will boast all the more in our weakness so that Christ's power might rest on us. And that's what I pray tonight, Lord Jesus. I pray that your power would rest on me, that you would speak your word, that you'd hide me behind the cross that your word would be spoken to each of us, Lord, that you would tear down the idols that we have in our hearts, Lord, whatever it is that we care more about and we're more passionate about than we are about you, I pray that you would destroy those things, Lord, tonight. And I pray that you would change our lives by what you have to say to us tonight. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, y'all. So let me start off by telling you this. Uh, as, a, uh, as a father, as a dad, uh, there are these moments where every now and then uh, your heart breaks uh, especially as your child, as your kid, begins to find out how cruel the world we live in really is. And, and this happened uh, actually a couple nights ago. I think on Monday night, we were, uh, we were sitting at the table, having dinner, me, Heather, our three-and-a-half-year-old Annabelle. And as we're sitting there having dinner, I learned something kind of disturbing, like she was talking to us about what had happened at preschool that day. And Annabelle says to us, uh, basically, here's the scenario. There was a girl uh, at her school who was walking around, and uh, she, she was pointing at all the different kids in her class, and she was saying, will you be my best friend? Will you be my best friend? Will you be my best friend? And all the kids are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she's asking every single child in the class if they'll be her best friend. And then finally, she goes up to my daughter, Annabelle, and she points at her. She says, you can't be my best friend. And I said, um, I said, uh, I said, Annabelle, um, how did that make you feel when she said that? And she looked at me and she says, very bad. And I'm like, who does that little demon think she is, man? What the? I'd like, serious, like, who does she think she is? Like, everything, every fiber in my being at that moment wanted to drive to this little girl's house and, like, burn her toys in front of her, right? Like, I just watched this, right? Like, I, I, I'm serious, like, something, just my heart broke and then violence erupted. It was weird. Um, and so I looked at Annabelle and I looked at her in the face while we're sitting there at the dinner table. I said, listen, baby, uh, the next time she says that to you, I want you to look her in the eyes and I want you to have a big smile on your face. And I want you to tell that little girl, well, my daddy's my best friend and he's a better best friend than you are. Mm. And I even, I even taught her the snap, okay? I even taught her that. And the whole time, my, my wife Heather's looking at me mortified, going, what are you, why do you act younger than our three-and-a-half-year-old? Why do you do that? Okay? And so we keep talking at the dinner table, and then I found out it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there because she actually tells us not only that, but this little girl later in the class was going around giving hugs to all of the other kids, like giving them all hugs. And then finally she looked at my daughter Annabelle, and she says, you can't have a hug. <laughs> 
And I'm like, that little freak. I, like, I, bad thoughts are going through my mind right now. Like, I, like I've decided, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bake a whole bunch of homemade cookies, homemade chocolate chip cookies. And I'm going to take them up to the school. And I'm going to pass them out to every single one of those little kids in that class, and then in the last one I'm going to get to is that little girl, and I'm going to look at her, and I'm going to have a cookie in my hand, and I'm going to go, hey, little girl, you want one of these? I'm oh, sorry, my bad, you can't have one. Um, um, sure is good and chunky and chocolatey. Um, you know what, I heard there's some mud on the playground, maybe you can eat that for your snack, huh? Or maybe a cactus, huh? Right? Or maybe a dirty celery stalk, okay? You know, just don't mess with Annabelle, right? Like, I, every, I like, like bad, bad thoughts are going through my mind. But here's why. Here's the thing. I, I don't, I don't want to, as a father, I don't want to see my child hurt, right? Like, I don't want that. I want what's best for my daughter. We would expect this from any halfway decent father, right? That you want what's best for your kids. That's how it works. Now, now here's the point. Um, all throughout the Bible, uh, this is how God is. This is what God is like. God reveals himself this way. And so all throughout the Bible, over and over and over again, what you see God doing is this. He's warning his children and he's trying to tell them what is best for them. Because God wants what's best for every single one of us. So over and over and over again, in his word, he's telling us, here's what's best, here's what's best, here's what's best. One of the earliest and most famous examples of this is what happens in Exodus chapter 20. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago when we started this series. In Exodus chapter 20, God says this. He gives them his ten commandments in Exodus 20, and he starts off the very first commandment. He tells them this. He says, you shall have, listen, he says, you shall have no... No other gods before me. I want you to hang on that for a second. You shall have no other gods before me. So in other words, what God is saying to these people is this. I want you to spend the rest of your life, your entire life, making sure that there's nothing in your life that you're more passionate about than me. There's nothing in your life that you're more in love with than me. There's nothing in your life that you're more devoted to than me. Because if there's anything in your life that you're more passionate about, that you love more, or you're more devoted to or committed to than me, that thing is an idol. It's a false god, and it's going to go bad for you eventually. It will cause you pain because that false idol will never satisfy you. So this is the message of God to his people. Okay, now, now listen, here's how this goes. Um, as history proceeds, as we read the Bible, what we see is this. Over and over and over again, God's children break this commandment. Matter of fact, if you study the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, what you see is this. The main problem with God's people, the main problem with these people was the fact that they worshipped idols. That was their main problem in the Old Testament, the main problem with Israel. They worshipped idols idols and so over and over and over again they would break it they had a history of running the false gods false idols of allowing other things or other people to be more important to them than than god was and then you fast forward to today and here's what happens and by the way i'm going to grab this other mic because i think my sweat glands are knocking out this one praise the lord it's been a whole year since that's happened but god is good man i gotta have surgery okay here we go um Fast forward to today, here's what happens. Um, we, we get to 2009, and what we discover is this, that, that idol worship or idolatry or, or having things in our lives that are more important to us than God is, is still a huge problem. 
Like, it's still a huge problem with the people of God. As a matter of fact, um, here's what happens. People claim with their mouths to live their lives exclusively for God, but their actions tell a different story. Okay, so this is still a huge, massive problem. And here's how this plays itself out in our everyday life. Because we talked about back uh, in the first week that maybe some of you think, when you think idol worship, you think to yourself, you know, that I have maybe like a, uh, a Buddha statue inside of my closet, right? And you sneak over to your Buddha statue and you rub the little belly and go, hey, Buddha, hum, hum, hum. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about idol worship right now. You understand that, right? Like, it's not what we're talking about. An idol is anything you're more committed to, more devoted to, more afraid of losing than you are God. Anything. Any created thing. So, um, so here's how this plays itself out in our lives. I wrote down some of the most popular ones, okay? Because the fact is that this room right now is filled with people. Right now, all of us, us people, who, um, if we're honest, we would say this. There are things in our lives that are more important to us right now, right now, than God is, Okay? For example, for some of us, our false idol is the idol of money, materialism. That, that's your idol. That's your God. That's what's most important to you. And that's very easy. Listen, that's, that's a very easy one to worship, especially in a world that basically tells us the most important thing about you is what you own and what you have. That, 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 that's your value. And so if you don't have much and if you don't own much, then you're not worth much. I mean, come on. This is normal for us. We live in a world where people... Spend more than they make every day. Dude, we live in a nation that spends more than it makes every day. So we're, we're brought up in this culture that says spend more than you make. You live for money and materialism. So which means this. There's some of us in this room right now. Your grandest ambition in life is this. I want to get a job. Pays a lot of change so that I can have a lot of stuff. And that's the biggest ambition you can think of. And, and hell to you, your idea of hell is being poor. That's your idea of hell. Why? Because money and materialism has become your God. That, that's why. But for some of us, maybe that's not your idol, maybe that's not your, your vice, but for some of us it's, it's sex or, or lust. And, and here's, here's how this works. Uh, and, and, and fellas, you would never admit, you would never admit, yeah, that's my false God. That's my false idol. But let's face it, it's taking control of your life. And so what happens is you, you, you go home, and when you're at home, you're constantly looking over your shoulder, afraid that somebody's going to catch you looking at porn. And, and you're worshiping at the idol of, of lust. I mean, come on. I mean, this is the real world, man. For some of us, for some of us, our idol is uh, popularity, or like uh, Queen talked about back a few weeks ago, the God of Cool, right? The God of Cool, which means this: the most important thing to you is your reputation. Your reputation and what people think about you is more important to you than God is. So, th so this is what's interesting about this one. Listen, this one actually fleshes itself out in two different ways. For girls, it fleshes itself out one way, and for guys, it's a different way. So, for girls. Here's, here's a good indication that a girl has uh, begun to worship the God of cool is uh, you see it in the way you ladies dress. You, you begin to wear a little less, show a little more because you want the guy to look at you because you care so desperately about what he thinks about you because your reputation means more to you than God does. For, for fellas, for guys, it fleshes itself out in a very different way. It's, it's bizarre. But guys, and you know this, man. The way that the indication that you have fallen prey to the God of cool, the God of reputation, or popularity is this. You will do the dumbest things to get a laugh. 
Like you really will. And the reason the girls are laughing in here right now is because they're like, yes, it is dumb. I mean, you will like do illegal stuff to get a laugh. You will hurt other people to get a laugh. Dude, you will hurt yourself to get a laugh. This is, this is why a guy can walk up to you, some of you at school and go, hey, dude, check this out. I dare you to jump off the school head first in a dress on fire into the trash can. Dare you. You're like, okay, cool, man. And you do it because, because everything in you, listen, everything in you, everything in you wants, you want people to think you're crazy, you're hardcore, you're just crazy. You're, no, you're dumb. And here's the thing, listen. You're worshiping a false god. You care more about what people think about you than you do about God, which, which, is why, which is why even to get a laugh, you'll break the commandments of God because you care more about your reputation than God. Okay? For, for some of us, our, our idol is romantic love. And there's nothing wrong with romantic love. I'm a big fan of romantic love, okay? But, but the problem is when you make it your ultimate God, that's the thing you live for. Some of you are living. You are living. You're obsessed with you. You're living for a boyfriend or for a girlfriend. And I've got to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. For some of you, you have one. But you've got to keep the boyfriend or the girlfriend at all costs. And so what happens is this. I mean, you, 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 are, you are looking for the one. There's a one, and you're looking for him. And ladies, you know this because you were like you were like a hunter looking for a helpless deer. I mean, you're on the prowl, baby, right? I mean, you're like Gollum looking for the ring. My precious, come here. He's like, get away from me, psycho, right? And you get him, and you're calling all your friends and going, oh, he looks just like Brad Pitt. He looks just like Brad Pitt. No, he looks like Dwight Schrute, man. He doesn't look like Brad, right? But you're just, you're, you're living ultimately for romantic love. It's become your God. And guys, like, you're even worse. You're even worse, guys. I got to get a girlfriend. I got to, man. If I could just get that girl, dude, if I could just get that girl, my life would be complete. No, dude, if, listen, if you got that girl, your life would be more expensive and filled with Taylor Swift music. Okay? Stay away. <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> listen. For some of you, for some of you, your God is the God of fame. That's your idol. You care about fame more than you care about God, which means this. You so desperately want people to, to know you and to want to be you. You're, you're living your life because one day you want to be famous and you want to be known. Okay? And so here's, here's what it is. You care more about people knowing your name than you care really about people knowing Jesus' name, which is a very good indication that you're worshiping a false god, it's, be, it's become your god. And come on, we see this all the time in our culture. I mean, you ever notice this? We see it all the time. And, and give, give me an example. Like every two or three years, there comes along some pop star into the secular scene, and, and like Rolling Stone does an article on her and, and says, she's a Christian, and she gives this whole interview of, I'm saving myself for marriage. I'm saving, I'm saving myself for marriage, and I love Jesus. And, and she does the interview. She's like, listen, my promise ring. Take a picture of my promise ring. I'm not taking it off to the day I get married because I love Jesus. And then two years later, she's in rehab and suing TMZ.com for posting nude pictures of her online. I mean, come on. We've seen that. This is our culture. We've seen that. This is just a replay of things that have happened before. Why? Why? Listen. Let me tell you why. Because at some point in her life, she started to care more about the fame than she did about Jesus. It became her God. It became her idol. And the danger is, some of us, that, that's, that's what you're living for. That's your God and that's your idol. 
For some of you, it's the God of technology. You can't imagine living in a world without computers, iPods, and cell phones. Your idea of hell is a world like that. You are so glad you were not born like 50, 60 years ago. You have to have Facebook, because if you don't have Facebook, how will people know how awesome you are? (laughs) Huge problem. You have to have Twitter. You cannot live without Twitter, because if you don't have Twitter, how in the world will you know that Ashton Kutcher had pizza for dinner? He had pizza. Ashton had pizza. So annoying talking to somebody, having a conversation. Yeah, dude. Wait, hold on. Ashton had pizza. (laughs) Um, Oh, by the way. When you're in a conversation with somebody and you, and, and you have to reach for your phone because you just got an indication and you break away from the conversation, that's a pretty good indication that your priorities are completely jacked. Your, your God has even begun to, relesse, to mess with you relationally, okay? For, for, for some of us, speaking of pizza, for some of us, our God is food. We, we live in a country where obesity is out of control. If you do not believe me, go to Burger King right now, today, right now, and you can go get a quad stacker burger, four slabs of meat, and four slabs of cheese. I looked it up online. It has 1,000 calories. I'm not making it up. That's not an exaggeration. In one burger, 1,000 calories. Let me tell you a secret. Listen. Listen. Let me tell you a secret. Shh. And everybody that's like, yeah. Yeah, I want to die before I'm 30. Um, <laughs> let me tell you a secret. They wouldn't make it if people didn't buy it like crazy. Like crazy. I, I mean, you can go to the state fair and get a fried Snicker bar covered in powdered sugar and chocolate sauce. That's a real thing. And, and let me tell you something. Listen, straight up. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you you can't enjoy food. Enjoy food. Food was given for the glory of God. Enjoy it and give thanks to it. But gluttony is a sin, and when you live to eat, it's a sin. It's a sin. When it becomes your God, it's a sin. There are people who eat breakfast, and while they're eating breakfast, talk about what they're going to have for lunch, and they eat lunch, and while they're eating lunch, they talk about what they're going to have for supper, and then they eat supper, and while they're at supper, talk about what just came on the food channel. Your God might be french fries i'm just telling you and guys listen listen there's other gods there's all kinds of other idols i mean we could talk about there are people who their god is american politics baby and you always can check these people out because what happens with these people is whenever a guy is elected president they don't like from a party that they don't like they're always the first ones to go he's not my president i'm moving to europe hey listen i'm I'm just going to tell you something straight up um really Really? Um, You you do realize that the Bible says that that authority was established by God. As a matter of fact, Romans 13 says that God God established that authority. You do realize that 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that Christians should pray for all kings and people in authority everywhere. Maybe you care so much because um, you think politics is your salvation. And it's not. So some of you, your race has become your God, and that's why you're racist. And that's why it's no big deal for you to tell a racist joke, because you're racist, because your race is your God. It's your false idol. 
There's some of us, are, our sports have become our God, so we sink into a clinical depression and we scream profanities and we punch holes in walls whenever our team loses. And I'm going to tell you a secret that your friends will not tell you because they're scared to tell you, but I'll, on behalf of your friends, let me tell you, they think you're dumb. They think you're crazy and irrational, and you are. But let me tell you why. Because you're allowing a man you've never met and what he does with a ball to destroy your day and your weekend and your life. It's sad. Because it's become your God. Right? And then there's some of us, your God is your body. So listen, you, you have an eating disorder, so you starve yourself or you, you cause yourself to throw up because um, you want your God to be thin. Or you take illegal drugs and substances because you want your God to be muscular because your idea of hell is either being fat or not having nice abs. And you know what? You have a false idol. You're worshiping a false god because you think salvation is found in that instead of in him. And so listen, we could go on and on and on and on right now, but the point is this. Every single one of us in this room have something in our lives that we're more committed to and more passionate about and more devoted to than anything else. And what the Bible says, what God communicates to us is this. If that thing or that person that you're that committed to is not God, it's a false idol. And ultimately it's going to cause you pain and ultimately you will never be satisfied. So here's the question we got to ask tonight as we end this, as we land the plane, as we end this series. The, the question is this. How can we be free from false idols? How can we be free from this? I mean, over the past weeks, we talked about materialism. We talked about the God of cool. We talked about fame. We talked about all these different things. But the question is, how can we be free from these false idols? And, the, you know, the answer, as always, is found in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. And um, if you have your Bible, turn there. I want you to turn there. I want you to know where to find it. If you don't have your Bible, uh, we put it on the back of the cards for you guys and you ladies so that you can uh, read along with us. And if you don't own a Bible, see us before you leave. We will hook you up with a Bible because we want you to have a copy of God's Word. It's the most important book you'll ever own. Okay, here we go. In Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and by the way, the entire theme of the book of Colossians, just in case you're curious, is this. It's what we call the centrality and the supremacy of Jesus. It's the fact that he is always first place all the time, and he always wants to be and needs to be the center of a Christian's life. That's the theme of the book of Colossians, okay? So in the book of Colossians, we're dealing with this issue. How can every single other false idol be pushed to the side and replaced by Jesus? So in, in Colossians chapter 3, here's what it says, starting in verse 1. Look at it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts. Everybody say right now, set your hearts. One more time, say set your hearts. So here's what I want you to see. There's an action that's expected of us. We are expected to actually do something. Not just believe something, but to actually right here do something. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds. Everybody set your, say set your minds. It says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So, so listen, it's amazing how simple this is. Listen to what he's saying. 
if you want Jesus to be central in your life, if you want Jesus to be the one who's directing your life, the, the most influential force of your life, no other God before him, if that's what you desire, he's saying the first thing you have to do is you have to change your focus. You have to change what you're focusing your mind and your heart on. Because let me tell you a secret. If right now there's something in your life that's more important to you than God, here's why it's more important to you than God. Because you've given your mind and you're giving your heart to whatever that thing is. You're focusing on that. Because something in here thinks that you can experience salvation and satisfaction from it. And you can't. So you put your mind and you put your heart on it. And what he says is this. He says, look, you need to stop. And you, need to, you need to fix your gaze up to heaven. And you need to stop focusing on earthly things. Stop focusing on things below and begin to focus on things above. So there's, that's where we're going. So, so then he goes in verse 3. Look at what he says. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life. When Christ, who is your life, by the way, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So in other words, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life is not money, it's not materialism, it's not reputation, it's not sex, it's not lust, it's not technology, it's not sports. Your life is Jesus. He's, he's life. He's, he's, he's what your life is about. He's what your existence is about. Christ, who is your life. And then verse 4, or verse 5. Put to death, therefore, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immor immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And now he's going to go on and he's going to tell us how Jesus can actually be the centerpiece of our life. Because now the question is, okay, I know what I need to do. Change my focus. I've got to change my focus from my idols to Jesus. But like how? What does that mean? Like what does that mean? He's going to tell us. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Be thankful. Students, don't miss this. In other words, he's saying if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, at some point in your life you've realized that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He's the only way to have a relationship with God. He lived a perfect life for you. He died a bloody death on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later he was raised from the dead. He came out proving that he is the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God. And if you've placed your faith and trust in him and asked him to save you from your sins, if you've done that, if you're a follower of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, here's what this means. You're different. You're different than anybody else on the planet. You are different. You're an alien and a stranger in this world, as it says somewhere else in the Bible. And then he goes on verse 16. Look at verse 16 closely. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. With gratitude in your hearts. To God. And students, here it is. Here it is. Listen, look at me. Here it is. In this one scripture, in verse 16, in this one scripture right here in verse 16, we're given four commandments, four exclusive commandments. And these commandments are meant to show us how it is that we can focus on Jesus in such a way that he is the center of our life. He's the center of our hearts, okay? Four commandments that if you do them, if you follow through, they're called, basically, one of the words that we use to describe them is, uh, in, in Christianity, is spiritual disciplines. 
four disciplines that if they become a part of your life, you will focus on Jesus and you'll be living a life in which you're intentional about making sure that Jesus Christ is the center of your heart. He is who you're living for and it's not idols that are never going to satisfy. So the first commandment is this. The first commandment he gives right here in verse 16. Write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, first commandment, read the word. Read the word. And by the way, these are so simplistic, man. These are so practical right here, what he tells us right here in this verse. Read the word. Everybody say read the word. Okay, here we go. He says, read the word. Look at where he says that. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Here's how you focus on Jesus. Here's how you focus on him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, Let me just tell you this. I'm not surprised that there are so many Christians who right now have idols in their lives, um, things in their lives that are more important to them than God is. I'm not surprised at that because there's so few Christians who actually spend time reading the Bible these days. So I'm not surprised that so many are living for other things, claim to live exclusively for God, but in reality are living for false idols because there's so few Christians who actually spend time reading the word of God. Students, I'm going to tell you this straight up, straight up. The word of God, the word of God, this book right here, the word of God is the heart of God. If you do not know the word of God, then you do not know the heart of God, period. And if you do not, if you're not intentional about consistently spending time in God's word, if you're not intentional about that, don't expect to grow in your relationship with God and don't expect Jesus to be at the center of your life, the one that you're living for exclusively in first place in your life. Don't expect it. Because the way that you focus, the way that you focus on him, one way that you focus on him is that you actually spend time reading the word of God. So the question for all of us is this. Are you right now in your life spending time consistently reading the Bible? As simple as that sounds, are you spending time reading the Bible? Okay, no, no, listen. Not because God's going to love you more if you do, because he's not. Not because God's going to love you any less if you don't, because he's not. But reading the Bible exclusively because you are desperate for him to be the center of your life, first place in your life. You want to live for him. You don't want to live for false idols that will never satisfy. Okay? And by the way, because we're human, we tend to come up with excuses as to why we don't do things. It's part of what it means to be a sinful person. Okay? So what happens is this. Uh, we'll come up with excuses like, um, I've heard this excuse wh- about why people don't read the Bible. It's, uh, well, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. Well, I I would say this. There's 66 books and two entire huge testaments. You've got a lot of options. And if you really don't know where to start, that's why guys like me have jobs. You can come and you can ask, hey, dude, you're my high school pastor. Could you please tell me maybe where I could start reading the Bible? That's why we have small group leaders in this ministry, so that you can go to them who love Jesus, who love God's word, and you can say, hey, um, listen, do you think maybe you could show me where to start reading the Bible and that they could do that? Uh, another excuse that I hear often is, well, I, I, I read it before and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> really? Yeah, it doesn't make, the Bible doesn't make sense, really. Um, here's what I've found. Most of the people who would say that have never really spent a lot of time asking God to let it make sense to them. 
So, so it's not like we read it and it doesn't make sense. We go, God, please help clarify this for me because I'll tell you what, if you ask God to clear this up for you and if you ask God to show you what it means and what, it, what it's actually saying, he will do that. It's a promise. Matter of fact, he says in Jeremiah, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I don't know where we come up with this weird idea of God like he's sitting in the heavenlies going, I'm going to give them my word and they'll never understand it. My evil plan is working. <laughs> Um, that was a little too good. <laughs> that, that's not God. Listen, by the way, the second thing I would say to you, if you say, man, the Bible doesn't make sense, I would say to you this. Um, true, the Bible is difficult to understand in some places. True. As a matter of fact, um, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter actually says, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus, actually says in that verse, there are some parts of the Bible that are difficult to understand. I love that the Bible says that the Bible is hard to understand sometimes. Isn't that awesome? But it's not an excuse not to read it because the Bible actually says that in some places the Bible is hard to understand, but then later it commands us to read it. Matter of fact, repeatedly it commands us to read it. And matter of fact, in this scripture it says if you want Jesus to be the center of your life, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do we read the word of God? Because as you do, students, you know what you're doing? You're focusing on him. It's not an excuse to say it's, it's too hard because you know what? I remember when I was a little kid, um, in I was living in Texas at the time, and my papa was teaching me how to ride a bicycle. And when I was on the bicycle, and I fell down a few hundred times, and every time I would stand up and look at my papa and say, Papa, it's too hard, papa. It's too hard, it's too hard, it's too hard. It's not like he looked at me and goes, oh, really, my little poo-poo snowflake buttercream teddy bear snickerdoodle. You want to go inside and color and watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and cry? Let's do that. Let's do that. My papa didn't do that. He said, get on the bike. Get back on. Get back on the bike. Because my papa knew that it was important for me to learn how to ride a bike. Because if I didn't know how to ride a bike when I was 24 years old, I'd get beat up. 24-year-olds who don't know how to ride bikes get beat up. And they deserve it. It's in the Bible. Okay. Delete that off the podcast. Number two, the second thing he tells us, listen, the second thing he tells us, second commandment we're given, how to keep Jesus at the center of your life. Number one, read the word. The second thing he tells us is be accountable. Be accountable. Everybody say be accountable. One more time, say be accountable. So what does this mean? Well, look at what it says right here. Look at what it says. It's very interesting. Um, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, middle of verse 16, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is something that Christians rarely do these days. We, at least we don't do it well. Because here's what he's saying. Here's what this means. If you're a disciple of Jesus who wants Jesus to be at the center of your life, the main, number one priority of your life, here's what this means. There will be moments in your life where you have to sit down with friends of yours who are also followers of Jesus and have very difficult conversations with them because they're choosing to live their lives for false idols and false gods instead of Jesus. So sometimes you need to sit down with them and have very hard conversations about how they're living. Matter of fact, that word admonish, that word admonish literally means to reprimand or earnestly urge and even warn. To warn them. 
And he's straight up telling us that that's, that's what's going to have to happen if you want Jesus to be the centerpiece of your life. But here's what happens instead. Here's what happens instead most of the time. Most of the time what happens is we'll come to like our small group and we'll say things like this. Hey, there's this girl at my school and she says she's a Christian and everything, but she's getting crazy crunk on the weekends and she's sleeping with the whole basketball team and she's just crazy. She's losing her mind and she's sneaking out of her house late at night, but she says she's a Christian. So I'm just praying for her. I'm just praying. Have you talked to her? No, but I'm praying. I'm praying hard. I'm glad you're praying, but God put you in her life for a reason, and God actually says that we are to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and so maybe God wants you to stop praying and sit down and have a conversation with her, which, by the way, is biblical. And, And by the way, over and over again, you see it in the Bible. Over and over again, 2 Samuel chapter 12, David, King David, sleeps with Bathsheba, actually has her husband Uriah killed. And Nathan the prophet walks into the king who could have him killed if he wanted to. And Nathan the prophet looks at King David and says, you're committing adultery. You killed the man. Repent and come back to God and get your life straight. I mean, dude, we just read, we just read this in Acts chapter 5 in, in Engage, man, that um, the apostle Peter is one day, he's at the church, and this dude Ananias walks in. The story with this cat Ananias is that Ananias had sold some of his land, and he got this sum of money for it, but he, like, kept some of the money for himself, and he gave some of the money to the church. But the problem was he started bragging everybody, going, man, I gave all that money to the church. I'm spiritual. And, and he went to Peter, and Peter said, hey, dude, is this really all the money that you made from the land? Is this really all the money? And then I said, yeah, boy, it is. And Peter said, uh, really, well, um, how dare you lie to God and lie to the Holy Spirit like that? And at that moment, Ananias drops dead. I'm not sure why I smiled at that. And then here's what's crazy. You go, well, Peter made it, must have been super Christian. No, because then you read in Galatians chapter 2, and you read that the apostle Paul one day had to go to Peter and say, hey, bro, you know what? Here's your problem. You've stopped hanging out with people who aren't Jews, and you're only hanging out with Jewish people, so you're acting like a racist. You need to repent and come back to Jesus. So even he got stood up to. In other words, it's a biblical thing. It's part of the God's call on your life to actually sit down and teach and admonish each other. And if you want Jesus to be the center of your heart and your life, You need to take ownership of that. And you go, why is that important? Let me tell you why that's important. Listen, we're almost done. Here's why that's important. Because when you choose to do very difficult things like that, what you're doing is you're living out your faith and you're living as if Jesus is actually the number one priority in your life. You're living like it. You are living like it. Even to the point where you're willing to lose a friend all because you are desperately in love with Jesus. The next thing he tells us to do, the third thing is this. Write this down. Worship with a purpose. Everybody say worship with a purpose. One more time, say worship with a purpose. Look at verse 16 quickly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and then he says this, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If you want Jesus Christ to be the centerpiece of your life, the third thing that needs to become a regular part of your life is that you need to begin to worship with a purpose. Now listen to what this means. I hope that you understand that what we do in here on Wednesday nights is absolutely crucial and it matters, like big time. Like, maybe even more than you know. Like, what we do in here on Wednesday nights at the point is critical for your growth and development as a follower of Jesus Christ. It absolutely is. Matter of fact, we're commanded to do this in the Bible. What we're doing right now, we're commanded in the Bible to do this. You know what, I'm going to say something, and um, 
I'm just going to go for it. And, and the fact is that uh, th- there's a good possibility that there will be uh, a few extra seats next week because of what I'm about to say, but I feel like I need to say it. Every single week in here, there's tons of different people that come here, which is awesome. Tons of different people that come here. And, and I'll be honest with you. When you pack three to 400 high school students in a room this size, all kind of craziness can happen. So by the end of the night, I'm just excited when I'm able to actually leave with my wallet in my pocket. You know what I'm saying? Because this is like a crazy, crazy environment. I'm just telling you. And, and so what happens is this. When we're in an environment like this uh, during worship, their worship, like I walk around and, you know, people have ear bobs, you know, from their iPods and, and you know, people have, you know, their cell phones, obviously we talked about before, texting and, you know, doing that stuff. I've even, I've even seen people making out during the worship set, which to me is quite bizarre. And by the way, God spoke to me in a dream and said, next time you do it, he's going to give you a lip fungus and it will hurt. Um, <laughs> he did, it was weird. But, but here's the thing. L- listen, let me tell you something real quick. I'm going to be honest with you right now. If you are not a Christian, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's what I will tell you. You're supposed to act like that. Theologically speaking, my Bible says that that's the way you are supposed to act. Ephesians chapter 2 tells me um, you're spiritually dead, you're dead in transgressions and sins, uh, you follow the ways of this world, um, and so you you can't see the things of God. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 actually says the man without the spirit does not understand the things of the spirit of God. Matter of fact, they're foolishness to him. So according to my Bible, that's the way that you are supposed to actually live and act in an environment like this because this doesn't make sense to you. It's bizarre. It's weird. But if you're a follower of Jesus... And in this environment, you are refusing, you're absolutely refusing to engage in the worship of Jesus. But instead, you're choosing to do other things. I will tell you this. You're being disobedient to God. You're in sin. You need to repent. Because Jesus Christ has commanded you to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to him. As a matter of fact, when you do, it's part of how you keep Jesus at the center of your life. There's something supernatural, crazy supernatural that happens when we sing praises to our God in an environment like this. Last. How do we keep Jesus at the center of our lives? Number four, give thanks. Everybody say give thanks. (coughs) Give thanks. The very last of that verse says, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Listen, students, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Matter of fact, verses 15 through 17, in those verses, thankfulness to God is actually mentioned three different times. Living a life in which we're actually expressing our thanks to God is absolutely critical to making sure that Jesus Christ is always at the center of our hearts. He is who we're living for. Because here's what happens. When we live our lives in gratitude to God, you know what we're doing? We're admitting that there's nothing that we deserve except bad things. There is absolutely nothing that we deserve and everything good that we have come from the gracious hand of an awesome God. Everything. Everything. Our tendency, though, because we're sinful people, because we're selfish people, is, is to do this. Um, we always, we, we rarely look at what we do have, and we always look at what we don't have. And so we always want more, 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 more. Proverbs 20, verse 27 actually says the eyes of a man are never satisfied. And so what we do is, is we want more, 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 more. Um, but when's the last time you actually took a time out and you sat down and you were thankful to God for the things that you do have? Because when you're grateful to him, you understand that. Everything, every created thing was made by him. And he's Lord over all. 
he's the provider of it all. And there is no God but him. And like it says in the book of James, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Right? Here's the last point. I want you to write this down. We're going to go to small groups. Very last point. Here's what y'all need to get. And if you don't get this, it's going to be bad. If you haven't written anything else down, seriously write this down. Here's the point. An idol, an idol, a false idol, something that's more important to you than God is right now in your life, an idol cannot just be removed. It can't just be removed. An idol must be replaced. It can't just be removed, it must be replaced. So here's what this means. You can't just say, well, I've been living for money, so you know what, I'm making a commitment. I'm going to make a commitment right now. I will not live for money anymore. Boom. No. No, because in, in a week, you'll, you'll be right back where you started. Because here's the problem. The problem is that you're obsessing over money, and our hearts are like idol factories. We always run to false gods. We always run to the things of this world because we can see them. They're earthly things. And so here's the thing. An idol can't just be removed. It has to be replaced. So in other words, if you've been obsessing over money, you've got to stop obsessing over money, and you've got to start obsessing over Jesus. If you've been obsessing over sex, you've got to stop obsessing over sex, and you've got to start obsessing over Jesus. If you've been obsessing over popularity and your reputation and what people think about you, you need to stop obsessing over that, repent of that, turn away from that, and start obsessing over Jesus. And on and on and on and on we go. And the question tonight is how in the world do you obsess over Jesus? Read the word. Be accountable. Have people around you who... You, you sit down with them tonight and you say, please, if you see me going crazy, sit down with me and have a hard conversation with me. I beg you, be accountable. Worship with a purpose. And give thanks. And if we do, according to the scriptures, according to the word of God, then all of the idols in our hearts will be replaced by the cross of Jesus Christ, by a loving Savior, the Almighty God, who will lead and direct our lives. And we will be satisfied. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for these students in here. I thank you for them. I love them, Lord. I know that you love them more than I do. So I pray that tonight as we go to small groups, that you guide our conversations, that you would work, that you would move, that you do some awesome stuff, and that we would be honest about where we are in our lives right now, about the idols that are in our hearts about what it is that you're doing in our life right now, brutally honest in our groups. I pray it all in the awesome, awesome, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Here's the deal. Real quick, if you're brand new here tonight, you're going to get a free Starbucks.